when you were a kid, did you ever set traps for siblings or friends? I mean, it, by traps, do you mean standing around the corner of your sibling's bedroom with a fist ready to go? No, I mean like digging a hole in the ground and putting spikes at the bottom and thinking that they're going to fall through it. Um, uh, I was more the balanced shit on top of the door kid. Oh, okay. Yeah, fair I, enough. Actually, actually, that's not fair. I have a younger brother. And my my method, I learned that about the age of 11 when he started to become the same size as me and I couldn't beat him up anymore. To not, like, actually try to physically harm him, just frustrate him to the point of tears. So think smarter um, and, and, and work easier. So what I would do, <laughs> this is the building of an evil DM. So uh, I would go into his room, unscrew the light bulb in his lamp that was attached to the light switch, and then dump Lego on the floor. You're the worst. Oh Lego. That's worse than a spike trap. (laughs) Yeah. Lego in general, worse than spike trap. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And if I was feeling particularly mean, I would then cover it with like his dirty clothes so that he would not see the Lego. And he used to like at the age of eight or nine, he would flip the light switch. The light wouldn't go on and he would just stand in his doorway and scream. (laughs) (laughs) Instilling that fear at a young age. Now I can never enter a dark room. (laughs) There's a reason he he no longer likes society and and runs away from people. Yeah. You know what? You did this. You did this, Adam. (laughs) Yes, I like traps. Traps are fun. (laughs) You're the worst. Uh yeah, I don't think I ever actually set traps as a kid. I don't I don't think I had thought far enough ahead to do that kind of thing. What a nice wholesome childhood you had. I had an older brother that was a twat. Like <laughs> It's an older sibling thing, I'm telling you. Yeah, but his was yeah. even set up doors that when you open them a nerf gun would shoot you in the face. Like that's how intricate his traps would get. That's impressive. I- I was also the the kid, though, that would be like, hey, we're going to play a game where I grab this rope I found in the garage and I tie you to the lamppost out front. And then it takes me 15 minutes to, like, run around laps around the lamppost to tie him up. And I don't know what knocks are because I'm so young. So I'm just, like, wrapping it. And I come up with the most, like, bizarre bullshit knot. Then get bored. This is taking too long and leave. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah. Have a nice day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the neighbors would walk by and be like, what's that kid doing attached to the fucking lamppost? I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I do remember playing hide and seek with my younger cousins and I would be the seeker and I tell them to go hide and then I would just never look for them. I did that too. I used to do that when I was babysitting younger kids. It was the only way to get peace and quiet. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's just a parenting trick 101. Hide and seek, hide and seek. <laughs> you mean hide and nap? Yeah, we can do that. Great. Let's all take a nap. Thanks. <laughs> Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, where we continue our conversation on Dungeon Master tips in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. I'm Kyle, and with me today are Megan and Adam, and this episode is called Trapping at My Chamber Door, Both the Pit Trap, Piercing Damage, 3D4. (laughs) Alla Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. (laughs) I love it. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters is going to be settling Selling? No, sorry. In this episode of the It's Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters is going to be setting trip wires, balancing boulders, camouflaging the pressure plates, and refilling their poison darts. Because today, it's all about traps. 
I like the idea of selling tripwires. Yeah, for the next hour and a half, we're just going to be sitting here like an infomercial. <laughs> like, if you need a three gauge for your tripwire, let me tell you, you're not going to find a better deal. Now I have a new idea for a cobalt NPC. That's yeah. I like just selling tripwires. Wire clear. <laughs> um, we don't actually talk a lot about traps on this show. Um, they're such a classic and entertaining way to interact with the exploration side of D and D. But I feel like they've been a bit of an afterthought in 5th edition, and also they can often be just one note. Like, you failed to recognize a thing, make a save, you did it and took no damage, or you didn't make it and took damage next. How do you guys feel about traps? I mean, I don't hate them. I don't utilize them a lot, to your point. But I think that's because a lot of my dun- my campaigns are not really dungeon crawlers. So, like... I, to me, when I think trap, I think you're you're crawling through a dungeon like a Indiana Jones style, you know, tripping wires and hitting pressure plates and doing those whole nine yards. Where I'm just like, I couldn't be asked to set something like that up. So that's just me. I'm lazy. I'm a lazy DM. Let's say that. <laughs> Kyle? Uh, yeah, I'd say it's kind of an afterthought for me. Uh, it, it's just not uh, where I put most of my mental energy, I guess. But maybe it's just because I haven't researched them enough. And it's normally when you run into it, it's a pit trap. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. I don't see a lot of variety above and beyond that. So maybe I'm just, I don't have a lot of experience with it. I'm like, say that Adam's going to be like, no, I have like whole labyrinths worth of <laughs> traps, traps everywhere, traps for everyone. <laughs> yeah. I have thrown a number of traps at you guys. Megan, you're like, oh, no, I never see traps. I've thrown a lot of traps at you guys, but oftentimes the traps that I do are just like environmental hazards. If you don't make this save, then this is going to be the issue that you have to deal with. Um, And it's like the world is just a dangerous place and you are out in the wilderness. Um, There was a vault uh, where you guys had uh, traps. You went, um, Megan, you remember you went under the city in Blackwater and you were trying to rob the vault for a little while. You guys also were underneath a floating city of the undead for a little while and you had to go through a vault there. But I mean, to your point, yes. It's dungeons and vaults and tombs and crypts that people want to protect because there has to be like a mentality behind it. Yeah. Um, so unless you have a bunch of kobolds or paranoid clerics trying to protect a, the tomb of a great fallen warrior or something, I don't see a whole lot of traps anymore because we've moved away from dungeon crawls and into these broad campaigns that span countrysides and from town to town to town, right? Um, yeah, we're we're hitting the age of like large role play exploration, not necessarily like the the date, like the intricate weavings of a labyrinth dungeon, you know? Yeah. But. That being said, the latest book that came out like just a couple of weeks ago that we have not cracked open yet is uh, Keys to the Golden Vault, which is just bank heists. And I know that there's a fuck ton of traps in there. Um, we didn't want to include that in this episode because it's really, really brand new and a lot of people are picking it up and I didn't want to hit all of those spoilers about what the traps are like. So, so we're not going to address the keys to the golden vault right now, but, uh, but no, there are more traps that are out there beyond just what's in the DMG and Xanathars and a handful of other weird places. Yeah. What I think is kind of ironic is that this podcast is essentially named after a trap. Like what is a mimic, but a trap? Yeah. Well, there's that too, right? Like there's all sorts of, of creature traps that we're not going to touch on well we did that episode on mimics right mm-hmm. where everybody was just like what's the most insidious bullshit that you can come up with to where to hide a mimic and like what's the worst mimic you can think of let's do an episode no. on that <laughs> my, my favorite one peps had a really nasty one about an altar 
But no, my favorite thing is always make a ladder a mimic or make a boat, like a rowboat a mimic. So like you're on it and you're fucked. What do you do? So I really enjoy, I really enjoy traps. Um, Pit traps I'm bored of though. Yeah, it's true. No one's going to spend time these days digging a hole. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, before we get any deeper into this, let's cut to a quick ad break. No. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Command it. We previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on Dungeon Master Tips in 5th edition. For all of those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. And if you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check out our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's Mimic, or just send a shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. This week on the It's Mimic podcast, it's already been a big week, and it's going to get even bigger. Yesterday, we released not only the 25th mailbag episode, oh my god, 25, but we also used the opportunity for me to sit down with one of our newest regular hosts, who uh, some of you will recognize from Call of Cthulhu, and one of the mailbags, that's Mieka. And we got to sit down and break apart exactly how the hosts of It's a Mimic look at stat blocks and monsters and analyze what it is that we do. On top of that, we also released a 10-minute behind-the-scenes episode on the Patreon where I walked Mieka through little bits and pieces of what it takes to put together an episode from a host's perspective. Of course, there's this episode you're listening to now, and of course there's this episode, but on Thursday, I sit down with the sheriff and we also open up Keys from the Golden Vault and what exactly is in this heist-centric book. And because it's a new release, that one is getting released on the public channels for everybody. And finally, of course, because it's a Legend Lore episode, we always pair that with an undead where the ladies are bringing us a look at whites, wraiths, and deathlocks. If you're interested in joining the Patreon, you can check the show notes below. Otherwise, be sure to follow, like, subscribe, and shoot us a message on social media. And of course, we're always looking for the next round of mailbag questions. Let's get back to the show. All right, so what is a trap? Well, besides an excellent opportunity to ensure that your players both fear and respect you, a trap consists of two parts. A hidden condition. <laughs> you missed that. Megan nearly spat her fucking <laughs> <coffee>. <laughs> Yeah, that almost went all over my microphone. That would have been a great moment for everybody. Anyways. <laughs> and that's the end of respect. our episode. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's there's two parts. There's a hidden condition that once met will revert will result in an adverse effect. Conditions can range from the simple, uh, a tripwire or a rug with a hole dug out underneath it, to the more advanced, such as using magic in a certain room or using the wrong key in a lock. Uh, well, the consequences can range from the mundane to the magical, be it a statue that shoots a hail of magic missiles to a roof collapsing overhead. Of course, depending on the of course, depending on the complexity of a given trap, there can be multiple triggers and or effects. What you should always remember when designing traps is that no matter how cool your trap, it should never be an inevitability. Players should always have a way to get around or disarm them. In the DMG, they explain it as the trap layer would have a way of circumventing it. So the players should have one as well. 
being able to spot and disarm it or just getting around it entirely. Uh, there could be maybe some floor stones that are a slightly different color or a good perception check will let them spot a tripwire that glints just off the floor. If it's a collapsing bridge, maybe there is a secret door on the side that lets them go around it. Or with the tech magic, they will know that something's not quite right with the statue that's nearby. The point is to reward players for using all the tools they have at their disposal. Uh, and I particularly like traps that can be turned against the trap layer, uh, either by moving a tripwire or turning a statue in a different direction. Yeah, I, so, I like this, especially when it comes to the less intelligent trap layers. Like, I love kobolds. And yes, Megan, we should all talk to our kobolds. But... Yay! <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, but they're not super bright. They're really good at laying traps, but I don't think it would take much to then pick up a cobalt and throw it into the spike. Whatever. Right? <laughs> but I also like the idea of the decoy trap, the one that looks like it's obviously a trap, so you try and go around it, but the trap is actually around the decoy trap. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like Anyways, that. I think cobalts are stupid, but they're sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that's not to say that you should make spotting one easy or attempting to disarm one without consequence on its own. Remember, traps come in all varying degrees of complexity, and the more clever the trap owner, the more likely it is they would have a failsafe for those who underestimate their foe. Uh, the DMG and Xanthar's Guide to Everything have excellent tables in them for traps that separate them into several categories of both consequence difficulty and severity and how much damage they should deal for every level or for every level of party that uses the level tiers as a guide a trap with a dc of 10 to 15 is categorized as a setback or a moderate trap uh, take for example a bear trap it's not going to do a whole lot of damage or be that difficult to escape but will slow a party down in a chase uh, it will allow slower enemies to close the distance and give them more time to prepare for an ambush uh, of an approaching enemy by alerting them to your presence. Hold on, total trap sidebar, total sidebar, sorry. You said bear trap, and I'm just thinking about the kobolds that warn you that there are bear traps in the woods, and so you're looking for bear traps and don't see anybody, and then fall into the pit trap full of bears. <laughs> it's a play on words. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like that is exactly how kobolds would think too. We made a bear trap. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I love it. Sorry, Kyle, I derailed you, but there we go. No, honestly, that's a great idea. That's hilarious. Uh, so a trap with a DC of 15 to 20 is considered a dangerous trap. Uh, for this level of trap, its goal is usually to maim, dismember, or at least incapacitate its victim. It's not necessarily trying to kill, but the trap layer is certainly not going to complain if it does. An example of this would be a trap that triggers a fireball spell or a poison darts uh, that could knock a character unconscious and make them difficult to retrieve without another party member taking damage as well. A trap with a DC of 20 plus is considered deadly. This one is meant to drop its victim to zero HP or at the very least leave them in dire need of some serious healing. An example of this one might be a collapsing bridge that falls into a chasm or being struck by a harm spell. Uh, I really like traps, and they make a great game mechanic for their versatility. They can add a great sense of danger to the game outside of combat, uh, can help keep players engaged during exploration by adding consequences for inattention, softening them up before a big battle by both whittling away health and potentially using up spell slots or abilities, 
which helps give a fight a little more of a dire feel to it. Uh, it can also add more depth to puzzle phases while encouraging teamwork with complex traps to add a sense of urgency to things. And they can also help showcase certain characters, particularly rogues, uh, and are a great opportunity to reward creativity depending on how players use their knowledge of a trap. And on the flip side, punish stupidity. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> and and not and not just rogues. Like rogues are the ones that have thieves' tools to disarm traps, definitely, but rangers and monks have a lot of good movement opportunities they're very aware of their surroundings as well and uh, whenever it comes to magical traps your artificer is going to shine right your wizard may yeah. be able to uh do a little something special i find that a lot of the magical stuff is based on intelligence which harms your bard your sorcerer and your warlock but um but i mean the bard shouldn't really have too much of an issue either if you don't have a rogue I bet a bard has expertise um, kicking yeah. as well. So there will be skills to be able to help. Um, I remember in previous editions when anybody could be good at disarming traps, just if you were creative enough to pick up mundane items and use them in interesting ways. Um, mm -hmm. Something as simple as uh, a dagger and a handful of ball bearings, you could disarm a lot of traps or trigger them from a safe distance, right? So um i'm uh you i think you're right the rogue is is the clear go-to but it doesn't necessarily have to be that's a good point you know what my party's favorite thing to do is carry around a 10-foot pole yeah yeah uh and that's what they were for it was for triggering pressure plates from from 10 feet away right or to yeah. um poke the ground to trigger the pit trap um 10 foot poles were there to deal with traps and uh that's why a lot of dungeon masters started to trap doors and chests because a 10 foot pole doesn't help you so much um and uh so people started to use blades around the seam of the door or try to hit the locking mechanism with um with lock picking tools this is where thieves tools the idea of thieves tools came from um because i think in original dnd i don't think there were thieves tools quote unquote um do you guys include shit like glass cutting like mechanic stuff in like thieves tools or a grappling hook in thieves tools i'm thinking like a thief would have this shit a cat burglar I, would have these things yeah i think i think that like uh, a regular thief and a, and a cat burglar is different from like a heist person if that yeah, makes like, sense th thieves tools in my head are like it's just a lock pick yeah. kit right yeah. like that's the thing there's no yeah. little vial of acid to burn through the rope or anything like that right it's just no i think that that just like is indicative to people having ptsd for that one time you opened a door and it blew up in your face so every door you check from now on you're going to check for traps not once i've ever been in a dungeon when we get up to a room and a door is there has someone not go i'm gonna check it for traps like it's just yeah. all D, D players are so afraid of doors man <laughs> <laughs> remember lay your trap five feet beyond the door mm. yeah i am afraid every time i see a long hallway with nothing in it right like if it's 40 feet of hallway i'm checking for traps every single time yeah that is that is a safe way of doing it also anytime that i see a statue beside a door mm. yeah yeah statues has been added to my list of things to be afraid of <laughs> why megan none of your business adam <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, th that brings me to my next point. There is also times uh, when through no effort or intent of the DM, players can run into the deadliest trap of them all, uh, their own stupidity and lack of foresight. 
for instance, <laughs> using shatter on a crumbling roof, or in my own instance, jumping down a well without actually looking at what was at the bottom first. The best way to avoid most traps is to not show up for the session. Fair. Don't give them ideas, all right? We already have enough trouble with that as it is. Are we going to cover thirst traps in this episode? <laughs> Megan, take it away. <laughs> well. <laughs> There's that sexy goblin waiting for you at the There's end of the that, hall. That sexy cobalt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just chopping wood. <laughs> in the middle of a field. Yeah. I don't know why, but I admit immediately pictured a cobalt in like a hula skirt with a coconut bra. You know what? That says a lot about you, and I'm okay with it. <laughs> I feel like that's the background of your your like your desktop background, Kyle. I'm gonna have to make that an image. I'm gonna have to see if there's an image of that in the world now. Shut up. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, when players decide to hurt themselves, or you know, um, just looking at improvised damage, there is a table uh, on page 249 of the DMG, which gives you excellent advice for scaling damage. And uh, helping you design your own traps if you're looking for something a little more unique than what we're going to present today. Uh, now, when looking at or designing your own traps, there are a couple of important questions you should be asking yourself um, if you really want to create memorable ones. The first is who is laying the trap? How smart are they? And why are they laying? If you're looking to really elevate your adventure, you want to make sure that traps fit within the theme of the dungeon and the opponents you're using. Uh, a gang of bandits or gnolls aren't going to be lacing their hideouts with poisonous clouds of fog or spheres of annihilation. They're more likely to be using stuff like pit traps, falling nets, and alarms, or those like spiked wooden logs that fall from the ceiling and impale people. Since the purpose of these traps is likely to draw the attention of guards and capture an interloper so they can be interrogated, while also reducing potential friendly fire incidents. A lich or a mummy lord is going to be extra and have a crystal that fires off circle of death if it detects anything living. Uh, since a creature, uh, since liches aren't really going to care who's there, they're just going to want them dead. Just, uh, just as a part- quick, sorry, as a quick point. Like you're absolutely right. One of the things that um, later editions have done um, of D and D, and it's an interesting thing to think of when you're DMing like your twentieth session and beyond, when your players are um, not new anymore, is having the kobolds move into the old lich's lair, and so the first section of it is kobold traps, and the back half of whatever the lair is is over the top lich bullshit, right? Or the um, the bandits that are hiding out in the front area or the top two levels of the pyramid or whatever, right? So you have Mummy Lord shit a little bit deeper. That adds a dynamic for the theming of your, of your traps as well um, and gives you a reason to have Insect Plague cast um, even though you're just using, you know, third level bandits or whatever, right? Yeah. So we see that a lot in some of the adventure paths and modules. Um, but usually it is in later editions where they assume that the players are familiar with the one note basic theme, um, of, uh, of traps and layers and whatnot. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, you also want to think about, um, not necessarily like the evil characters too, right? So if your party is for whatever reason, infiltrating a temple of Paylor, they're not going to be using lethal traps likely, right? Cause it's going to be a public venue. So they're going to keep traps close to whatever holy relic they're protecting and it's probably going to be like a blind and deafened spell 
Well, I, yeah, th- that was uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, too, right? Like, they had all of those traps at the end, but these, those were put there by the Holy Order to protect the the actual goblet that Jesus drank from. Like, those were the good guys, yeah, right? And all of those traps were there to discourage grave robbers. And, and even, like, Egyptian pyramids, they're there to protect the holy relics of the pharaohs who died. Like, in theory, these are the good guys setting the traps to protect their shit. So you're right, it's not always evil. Uh, yeah, another one to think about is, um, that you mentioned earlier, is where are they going to set the traps, right? And uh, what's going to trigger them? In the case of bandits and kobolds, like you said, they're going to set their traps around the outside at the perimeters and along patrol routes. They're going to have simple things, simple triggers like trip wires or false floors. Since installing permanent traps uh, are likely going to be a waste of resources for what is likely to be a temporary base. Uh, and it's also going to allow them to mount a quick defense by getting to where they need to go. Liches, being paranoid and in it for the long haul, are going to have traps closer to their center uh, so that they can be even used against their own underlings should it come to it. Uh, and those triggers are likely going to be magic-based uh, and go off under uh, certain conditions like a uh, charm spell going off if their spell book is opened or a glyph of warding in a death drawer. Uh, in a mommy's tomb, you're going to find a mix of both mechanical and magical. How do you like predict exactly what I'm going to use as examples? It's creepy. Uh, um, years and years of DMing, Kyle. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, these are going to be a mix of magical, mechanical and magical traps. Uh, and they're likely going to get more deadly and more advanced the closer you go to the center. Um, clerics of Palor are going to be protecting holy relics and books. And if the temple is open for public worship, they're going to be less lethal traps. And not just leave them laying around where anybody might stumble onto them. Uh, finally, you want to think about targets for traps. Is the trap going to target a single person, or is it going to try to clear out a room, right? A uh, trap in a dungeon hallway is probably only going to target one person uh, because, you know, they don't want to have any friendly fire incidents. Whereas a uh, trap in like a treasure room or a vault is going to be an AoE. It's going to try to kill everybody in there, like a poisonous cloud of gas. Uh, now, traps fall under a few different categories. Uh, they're simple, mechanical, magical, and complex. Simple and mechanical traps, uh, examples of which can be found in both the DMG and Xanathar's Guide to Everything, are pretty interchangeable. But I think the one key difference for them is that simple traps are generally one-shot traps that will need to be reset manually after each use. Uh, like a bear trap or pit traps that are covered by blankets and foliage. Uh, simple traps are likely to be found in nature and used by your less technologically inclined foes. Uh, they are great for low-level parties and random encounters. Uh, mechanical traps are your classic dungeon traps. Uh, they will continue to be a threat until they are disabled, right? Like until you pin down that pressure plate with a dagger or um, manage to disable the mechanism or anything like that, right? It's going to use things like gouts of fire that shoot up from the floor, uh, self-closing pit traps, um, and you're going to find them in dungeons and tombs used by the smarter but maybe less magically inclined foes. Uh, I was thinking like Drugar, Drugar. Uh, magical traps um, can be found in the DMG. Uh, with the mechanical ones, and these are going to be triggered by more specific conditions. 
such as a preacher type, proximity, uh, and they will release a spell. Uh, and these are going to be used by your smarter enemies, such as wizards, liches, mummies, all that good stuff. Uh, when it comes to complex traps, uh, examples of which can be found in the Xanathar's Guide to Everything, are ones that will have multiple triggers and or stages. Uh, they will often function in an, in an initiative count, uh, similar to layer actions, and are going to be much harder to disarm once actually triggered, usually requiring multiple checks. Uh, you'll find these hidden in the layers of your canniest enemies, uh, either to weed out the unworthy or as a last resort because, or just because they have a sadistic streak. <clears throat> Adam. Uh, now, in addition to traps, uh, wizards... he just called you sadistic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm not correcting him. You're like, this is correct. I didn't yes. have that word. Yes. Yeah. That, I, I it, that means sad, right? Yes. Okay. It means yeah. you as a person are sad. Oh. 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 <laughs> okay. Uh, so let's get into some questions. Uh, what do you guys think are the main problems and challenges when using traps? Do you want to roll uh, for this? Let's yeah, roll. let's roll. I gotta get dice. Oh. Nineteen. There nice. is there is something to be said for being DM three. DM three tends to roll fucking highest. I have Ooh, you. Just to, like <laughs> I'm not tracking it anymore. I tracked it for the first like forty episodes or whatever like what all the roles were because i was curious and then i mean they're random roles there's there's no pattern to find so yeah. I stopped tracking them. but now that i'm editing i'm like yeah dm3 tends to or whoever's asking the question yes 99.9 of the time if i'm asking the question i usually roll high <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um but so today nine. i rolled a nine yeah okay uh, how would you get i i got a six yeah all right so i'm going first uh problems and challenges with using traps um, they can get boring and they can feel um, adversarial, right? By the time that you hit the third pit trap and it's the same player that's fallen in it over and over and over again because it's the same thing that attacks decks and the paladin just has shitty decks. Um, and so they've just taken the damage over and over. They're going to get pissed, right? This isn't fun anymore. And that's the thing about um DD is we're here to have a good time and to challenge um players and to make them feel like they've overcome something having a player land on his face over and over unless you're all sitting around laughing at the ridiculous fucking three stooges nature of it um it could feel like you're picking on somebody um i know from a lot of the traps that i've laid in the past in the previous campaign megan you know, Dan's character was the one that triggered almost every fucking trap. Every single every one. opportunity, right? Yeah. But his character was an inquisitive gnome rogue. Yeah. That is what he was there for. He was 80 feet in front of the party going, what's this? And blowing himself up. That was a regular thing. And he enjoyed the shit out of that. But later in the campaign, we had another rogue join. Charlie came and he's like, I didn't put anything into traps. I didn't do it because I'm a mastermind. All of my stuff is social. So when Dan's character was splitting the party, because of course he was, he's a gnome inquisitive rogue. Um, and then Charlie had to disarm traps. He was feeling almost um, like I was preying upon him because uh, he was unable to do this. He's like, I don't have enough hit points to get through these fucking tier four traps that you keep throwing at us. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's too much. So know your party dynamic and, and make sure that you are, making the traps varied enough and interesting enough so that they are not necessarily just 
hitting for damage, hitting for damage, hitting for damage, the same character or character type over and over again, right? Yeah. I also think like uh, and on the opposite flip side of that, I feel like one of my biggest struggles with traps sometimes is that a door can just be a door, you know? And so I find that if you have done it too much as a DM at one point, again, you're going to give your players PTSD that anytime you come up to a door, a window, a hallway, all these things you are going to have to go through the motions of, I check for traps, I do this. And if the role isn't good enough, everyone's going to go into that room with way too much caution. So I feel like as a DM, sometimes finding that balance and just saying, someone do a fucking intelligence role. It's a door. Like, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on from this, right? So um, so yeah, it's one of those things where they can either get bored or like o- like overwhelmed where it's happening too much. But then on the flip side, you're kind of screwing yourself over for the next time you're in a dungeon. And going through those motions again, right? And it might not be a, a trap this time. So, mm-hmm. but give that give that kind of grace that if if you don't want to spend forty minutes talking about a door in a hallway, give them the grace. Someone yeah. only an intelligence roll. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I look at it this way: the city is full of of um, town guards on patrol, and they're not all looking for your guys. Just because you're passing town guards doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be an encounter there. You're out in the wilderness that's full of animals. Not every animal is going to attack you. Yeah. You're going to be in a dungeon full of doors. Not every door is a trap, right? And if you make it a low percentage um, with higher impact, that is going to be more memorable and more interesting than having every door do 1d6 damage. Yeah. Spread it out. <laughs> get creative with it. So again, I would rather have boring. one door blow up to do 90 damage and wipe out one player and have everybody else scramble for healing potions, right? Then have that that fucking war of attrition. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. I I think you guys covered it pretty well. It's about striking a balance, right? You don't want to um slow down the game by making it all about traps, right? Yep. But as you said, Megan, you don't want to have them having a 20 minute discussion outside of door every single time or every time they're in a hallway, right? You want it to be fun. You want it to add a little extra flavor without it getting repetitive. So I think it can be, they can be enticing to do a lot, right? Yeah. Because it can be funny and you just don't want to run the joke into the ground kind of thing. Yeah. But on the flip side, I feel like as a DM, if they're running through your dungeon too fast and you didn't prep the next like seven hallways you're like oh giant trap next 40 minutes of your life great session's yeah. over let's reconvene right like you can you use it as, like as we said it's the balance thing of like keeping the pace of your game if you need to slow it down throw a trap in there right mm-hmm. if you need to speed it up remove a trap you know like you might have planned a giant trap but the game and the pace is going too slow and people are getting bored the last thing they want to do is come up to a trap sometimes you know what i mean so just kind of keep that in mind as you're going through your through your day right that's a great point actually yeah uh do you guys have any advice for other dungeon masters about traps um so we have this general mentality in fifth edition that you should have six to eight encounters per adventuring day Uh, i think this is largely bullshit because an encounter is just anything that uses up resources which means that a social encounter that doesn't use resources, that's just a conversation, technically doesn't count, but can eat up a third of your fucking session, right? And it can also be grueling. As well, on top of that, eight combats chained together in a row is a particularly nasty day, depending on the, the level and the the issue that you're dealing with when it comes to um, you know the nature of your combatants and your enemies. 
Traps, however, are a great encounter that um, people don't really consider as being an encounter. It's more than just um, it's more than just taking damage and having to use a healing potion. Um, a lot of the times, I like to use traps that are actually easy to find, but are difficult to disarm or will cost you something to get past it. Like, yes, you can get across the pit trap, but you're going to have to use your rope. And that means that you no longer have your rope by the end of it, right? Um, I often say, okay, you've climbed down the ledge. How are you getting your rope back? So that that way the last person has to make the climb at disadvantage or jump or fly or hover, or they just give up the rope, right? So um, there are different ways to think about traps and i like to think of them as um as the encounter that eats up uh resources that way as well when you do long dungeon delves or you're out in the wilderness for a long time this is actually going to have a cumulative effect day after day after day where you are going to run out of rope or maybe the trap is simply that there are a bunch of ravenous beasts of some port that 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 might come and attack you um and you just have to give up rations to appease them those are rations you don't have anymore, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so this is how I think of of traps: is I like to attack the character sheet and att and attack the spell slots and resources. If you don't want to waste your rope, then you have to use featherfall. That's great. You just wasted a spell slot, mm -hmm. right? Well, not wasted, but you've used it up, and you will not have that in battle later. So yeah. So that's my advice for DMs: is don't think of traps as the end point. They're not. They're the journey to get to the end point to help use up um, what the players have at their disposal. It's the, it's yeah. the DM's way of using up your legendary actions before you get to the, you know, like it's the, it's the version, your version of, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Trying to expend those spell slots. Or like, if you want your character to start looking at their freaking inventory, you know, like there's inventory as a whole is a very like in resource management, unless it's utilizing your game on a regular basis is not something your players will regularly do. So to your point, Adam, I love the idea that it utilizes your resources because it makes them look at their inventory and reminds I, them that they have these items. I played uh, an um, evil halfling that is pretty famous uh, with Dan and Brad and Tyler because Dan was DMing. And my halfling was a gloomstalker rogue, but I rarely used attacks. I used the items that I had with me and I would lay traps um, and I double crossed the party. But I laid a bunch of traps for them so that the traps triggered and then I attacked. And I killed half the party. And that party died because of traps. It was the alchemist fire in the doll that they stepped on and it blew up, right? That started the combat, right? Um, and it's uh, that's the other thing, too, that I like to point out with traps is that a lot of times you don't have to roll to hit. They have to roll to defend. It's, it's DC um, saves like high DC saves for people. And uh, that is better and more fun at the table to have your players rolling dice than you rolling dice against them. It also helps lean the action economy in one way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Megan, do you have any? Other uh, the only, yeah. The only thing that I would really add is that um, traps don't always have to be things that cause damage or, you know, trap your players. They could just be warning signs. Right. Like it would feel like a trap because your group triggered it walking into the dungeon or walking into the temple. But it could just be set up to your point earlier, a non-lethal warning sign. 
of this is probably not a place you want to be. But they don't they don't want to kill you or hurt you. They just want to make sure that you attempt to avoid coming into this room. Right? You step on the yeah. pressure point and the banner unfurls. It says, no, staff only. Staff only. Yeah. <laughs> Bang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing I would add. Because it doesn't always have to hurt you or be malicious in any way. It could just be like, you legitimately don't want to go here. So hey, if, it's, if it's staff only, does that mean only wizards can enter? Only if you carry a staff, though. Yeah. Like, not all wizards <laughs> carry staffs, Adam. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I, I think you guys covered it pretty well. Uh, you know, Adam, to uh, build on your point where you're using up resources, right, before a big fight, uh, it is a great way to do that because, you know, if you throw too many combats at a party, hoping to weaken them or use other spell slots, right, I've found that party members can tend to whine that they want to rest real bad and this is a good way to do it without them having to do it right or without having to worry about them complaining i guess i'm wording that wrong but let, let, let me tell you something i never worry about that in the first place no yeah they, they can go right ahead and complain <laughs> i want to i want to hear your cries and i want to see your tears <laughs> uh yeah it's i, I think you got to be judicious in their use right um if you are going to have uh, heavily trap laden dungeon. I think it's good to give the players a little primer first, right? You yeah. know, like let them stumble across one that has been triggered already. Right? Mm -hmm. If you have that plague of locusts, you know they'll find half-eaten um, corpses laying along a hallway, or you know find a bunch of skeletons that have been stabbed through by spears jutting out of the wall. Right? You can also help slow down a party like that as well. Um, the books. Do you mention that they're best used modestly, um, which, yeah, they can be. But I think there is something to be said about an adventure that really does help your, um, that pushes your characters to think before acting, right? So using your inventory, uh, as you said, Megan, um, and also if they're thinking a little bit more and you want a chance for your characters to bond, right? Uh, it gives a good chance uh, to open up discussions between yeah. players, between combats and stuff like that. Um, Especially if disarming the trap is a multi-person process, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's good to have a little teamwork in there, right? Yeah. Um, okay, do you guys treat traps differently when you have a rogue in the party? I, I do. I, A, add more traps because they chose being a rogue so that they could disarm traps, right? It's like choosing a barbarian um the like if i play a barbarian and everybody always does magical damage to get past my fucking rage um um in resistances like i i feel cheapened by that right and it's the same thing a ranger wants to go out into the woods and do survivalist shit that's why they chose it right um and a spellcaster wants to cast spells if they w wander into a dungeon that has a permanent anti-magic field cast on it they're going to feel like they've been shortchanged rogues need to do shit um so yes i absolutely do that and yes they get expertise so i make it uh at higher levels and i don't understand this idea that rogues are good at everything and they have this passive perception that's through the roof and expertise ruins games and i'm like Fuck no, it doesn't. Now they know the traps are there and I can make the traps more difficult to disarm and more deadly so that it ramps up the pressure on them. I absolutely love having rogues there. 
Also, it lets me do things like add traps during combat. People, another complaint about rogues is that they only can do one thing during combat. That is sneak attack. And then what? And they get one of them. And if they fail, they're fucked up and that's it. But if they're on one side of the bridge over the spanning cavern and there's a handful of spiders crawling down the wall at the party that are fighting them off and the bridge starts collapsing and they know they have eight rounds or so to be able to disarm this trap to stop the bridge from collapsing... The rogue is not fighting. The rogue is disarming. And if they've got to do four or five successful checks, each taking an action, that's a dynamic encounter for them to be stressed about everyone protect the rogue. That's interesting and new and different. So, I, yeah, I love having rogues. I love having traps um, for rogues to play with because it, it opens it way up. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I treat it differently when I have rogues because I know I can utilize traps as per their nature. Whereas if I did not have a rogue in my party and I wanted to use traps, you might use other things to help disarm it. Like you're not going to say detect trap or detect this or whatever, but it might be like an ability check to disarm it. So like a group project to disarm it because you don't have the rogue there that's just going to be able to do it. Yeah. Right. So not only do I have to think about it differently when I have one, but I also have to think about it differently when I don't have one. So that's something to keep in mind. The other thing to point out, too, is that um, you need thieves tools um, and you have to be proficient with them in order to set traps. More rogues need to be out there saying, I disarmed the trap, the door mechanism, whatever that that does the thing. Can I take it with me to set it later? I mean, you can't do that for every pit trap, right? Or Or collapsing ceiling. But. There are definitely bear traps and shit that you'd be able to be like, yeah, man, I can, I could take this now, right? I can set this up later. Yeah, one hundred percent. Interesting. The thing that seems difficult for me for that is you really have to, I don't know, be invested about where all your enemies are at any given time outside of a combat, right? Because a bear trap in combat is going to be kind of hard to set up without them noticing. It's more like when you're setting up camp and you're putting on a perimeter, right? Throw down a bear trap. Or like if you guys are hunkering down in a temple somewhere, but it's not guarded or protected and you don't trust the person on watch, they can set something up on the door to keep it locked, right? Like, Yeah, this is when the sidekick is going to take second shift overnight. We're also going to set up traps in a perimeter to... Like, we're going to set up alarm so that the sidekick is not going to get killed by the owl bear that stumbles in, right? Yeah. Um, We still have someone on watch, technically, but we've got this extra level of security. Um, The other thing, too, is that my players, and every table I've ever been at, they love to come up with intricate plans of bullshit. Like, okay, you go first, and you're going to lure the guard, and you're going to run around here, and he's going to chase you down the hallway. This is where the rogue shines with setting traps, right? If you've got two guys at a door guarding it in the middle of a dungeon and you know they're there but they don't know you're there you can lure one away and set a trap and fuck them up even with just a net right a net trap something to suddenly reduce the uh the threat in front of you so mm-hmm. um i wouldn't again i wouldn't recommend doing that to kobolds although that's a good way to distract kobolds they see the traffic oh cool what's this now there's three kobolds all bending down and looking at a bear trap trying to figure it out yeah shiny uh okay uh what's the most interesting category of trap or hazard in fifth edition i mean uh, the most interesting ones are complex traps because there's so many different aspects to it and they tend to be the big boss battle of, of traps um in my opinion they often utilize aspects of mechanical and magical traps all wrapped into one um they only have i think two listed in the dmg um or Sorry, how many? No, we only have three listed in Xanathars. 
And like they're interesting. I want to see more shit like this. And we'll go over these in a moment here. But complex traps are there are so many conditions and outcomes and situations revolving around the trap that it's not just tripwire pit trap, pressure plate, poison dart, right? There needs to be additional levels of thought put into these traps. Um, there needs to be stages of it as well. Traps should have initiative counts. Some traps, you, not all some traps. Do. But, some but do, actually. Some do. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. And and that's where it's interesting to me. Yeah. I was I, Mine's easily magic traps. Mostly because you have to think about who's setting it, what kind of magic they have. Like you as a DM, it's a little more interesting for me as a DM to use magic traps mm-hmm. because you have to think of all of those components and put them together into something. Right? So easy mm-hmm. answer for me. Yeah. Pit traps get real boring after a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you worry about a TPK with a complex trap? Is that something that, or are you just like, fuck it? I don't care if I do. Um, I mean, some of these are like deadly. I, yeah. Depends on the group. I think depends on your group and your people and what they're doing. And like, if they're going in knowing that things are going to be extremely dangerous, I feel like if it happens, it happens. But like, at the same time, you as a DM can kind of control that on the other side. If you feel like this is not how I want my party to go, you know what I mean? (laughs) I, I just wanted this to be a warning, not a not a. <laughs> if, if I can be honest, whenever I see them be super deadly, and I don't want it to be a TPK, I'll drop the DC that the book recommends to something that I know is manageable by at least two players, not one, not just the rogue. It has to be the rogue and the monk, so that we have someone to drag these poor bastards to safety, right? Um, or I make it so that the DC is good enough that the players will pass. But their NPCs and mounts will not. So the trap still triggers. We still get the effect of this this horrifying shit. They still have to use up their resources to heal up their NPCs. But I was never really, like, they were never really in danger. I did this with the fucking purple worm, Megan, that you guys fought at level two, right? Where the trap was, there were a bunch of shriekers, which are little fungi that make a bunch of noise. You guys were in the desert. There was a field of these shriekers in front of you. And you needed to get through it. And so it was a bunch of uh, like DC eight, I think, dexterity checks to walk through the field of mushrooms without disturbing them. But you had 20 NPCs with you. Not everyone is going to be able to make that. You guys will because your modifiers are high enough to get you through. The NPCs aren't. The problem is that when the shriekers go, the purple worm nearby that you know is there is going to come attack whoever triggered the shrieker, right? So... Um, that this was is a when trap. morality comes into play because then we just started throwing players into the middle of the field. <laughs> yeah, you guys just did a mad dash and triggered everything all at once. And I'm like, oh, fuck, who is the purple worm going to go after next? And so I had to like think like a purple worm for a minute. That was that was fun. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, thinking like a purple <laughs> worm, by the way, is I think the name of Terry's biography. So I, I like, I like that kind of, of you can do more than just again, like. The inventory is a big factor here. The the spell slots are a big factor. That's what I'm attacking, not hit points. I'm attacking NPCs. I'm attacking the character sheet. I'm not attacking um, in order to kill, although most traps are set up to be that way with regular normal convention, right? I think, I think that's a great way to do it. Um, what is the best trap you guys have ever seen in a game? Okay, so here's my favorite trap, and I think I've described this in the past um, on the podcast, was... There was um, a lever on the wall uh, down a hallway, uh, and I knew that Dan was going to get in front of everybody else because he was the inquisitive gnome rogue. So he went down this hallway, and he went and he pulled 
the lever because there were a number of levers that had to be pulled in here in order to unlock the next stage and whatnot. So um, he walks down the short hallway. He sees to the left and to the right, uh, there are short hallways. So it's like a, like a T-junction. Over to the right, there was this lever at the very end of the wall. So he walked over and he pulled the lever. The lever did uh, two things. One, it dropped a portcullis uh, way back at the T-junction so nobody else could get to him. And two, it opened the floor, a 10 foot by 10 foot section beneath his feet. So he fell. He fell 10 feet onto the spikes. Um, and the spike's particularly nasty, so he took fall damage and he took uh, piercing damage. Um, but he was relatively okay at this point until he saw the other lever there. Um, that Then he pulled that lever and it opened up the ceiling above the pit trap. And that dropped the gelatinous cube into the pit on top of him. Jesus. Yeah. At that point, because I love using monsters in my traps. Um, at that point, he was engulfed in the, in the cube and running around, uh, trying to get away from it, but it was a, like, 20-foot-long hallway, and he couldn't get past the portcullis to get back out again. Um, and the rest of the players couldn't see him. They knew what was happening because they're at the table, but the characters couldn't see around the corner. So he was on his own trying to get out of the gelatinous cube, out of the pit trap, and then down the hallway. And when he um, got out, he saw that there was also a lever in the ceiling that the gelatinous cube had been on, and that was a lever that he needed to pull. So he managed to get up into the ceiling, pull the lever. The gelatinous cube is underneath him trying to get him if he falls. He did have to jump down fight the gelatinous cube again by himself. Um, and that lever opened up the lever at the far end of the hallway down the other side. And he was so fucking tired of levers at this point. And he was running around like Scooby-Doo shit with this gelatinous cube consistently hunting him. And I told him, he's like, what happens if it kills me? I'm like, then you fucking dissolve. And it comes through the bars of the portcullis at everybody else. And he's like, fuck. <sighs> All right. So we were playing the movement game of, can he move quickly enough? This 10 foot wide hallway, the gelatinous cube is, is taking up the whole width. Can he move quickly enough to stay in front of it, away from it? Because it moves very slowly. Um, and uh, if he does get engulfed, can he survive it? Now, he was level 13 at this point, so this just ate away at his um, hit points slowly, round after round. Um, and he was never in total danger because I got rid of the second gelatinous cube I wanted to drop on him. I decided it was too much. Um, but no, I really like that. I Like I say, I like using creatures as part of my traps. Um, and that was uh, that was fun. That was my favorite thing to do, was to fuck up Dan with a gelatinous cube pit trap. Fair enough. <laughs> Yeah. Anytime you can bully Dan, right? Every time. E every time. <laughs> yeah. No, I would say like my favorite trap that I've ever been involved in was it, using creatures as well. But like in the sense of we went into a room like pure darkness in this room, not magical darkness, but darkness. So any of your players who do not have dark vision, which is very rare, but every once in a while you have a couple of players that don't have it. Um, and then when you walk in, there are creatures there that will find you via sound. And then like, I think, it, I think this was actually in your campaign, Adam, where then there was a bunch of people that were captured that were screaming. So which caused everything to move around. Mm -hmm. And then we had to like navigate within the darkness if we could see, and then like mixed in with like these these creatures would move around for sound. So we were trying to rescue these people that were not shutting the fuck up to quiet them down so that these creatures would not come after us kind of thing. So and then eventually we did, of course, the player thing where we just started saying, OK, we'll go after the screaming character. and We're going to run in this direction now. <laughs> we, st yeah. we stopped trying to save people and said, OK, you can keep screaming. We're going to get out of here. <laughs> like <laughs> 
Yeah, the resource there was morality. Yeah. So, woo! <laughs> yeah, that's never weighed me down. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> so, so, wait, I just want to clarify. So, the screaming, was that players or NPCs? NPCs. Yeah, the, N- the NPCs were actually the trigger of that one. The monsters were the were the trap being damaged or being uh, that was going to cause the damage. And the um, the darkness that was in there was the challenge because you guys didn't have torches at that point. And um, I believe half of the players didn't have dark vision. So it was a fumble through and trying yeah. to find the, the NPC. So it was that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that one. Great times. That's why I never leave the house without my light cantrip. There you go. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think I've ever been in a trap that's been that memorable. But I really like that shrieker with the purple worm idea. Shriekers are so much fun. I love shriekers. Um, it's uh, there are a handful of creatures, and they all seem to be fungi apparently. Um, that are set up to be not to the trap itself because that's what a mimic or a dark mantle or a piercer is, right? That's the trap itself. There are shriekers and there are, are gas spores and other things that are like the triggers for traps, yeah. which is which is just phenomenal. There needs to be more of that kind of shit. Yeah, honestly, it's a terrifying mental image. Just like these little fungus that scream at you. Mm-hmm. I imagine it's like blood curdling as well. Oh blood yeah, fun. it it is the most oh. ear piercing shriek. I mean, it's in the fucking name. So yeah. yeah, I gotta say, I well, I've never been involved in a very memorable trap. I I do have like a soft spot in my heart for um, rolling boulders or like rolling spheres, especially when they're used as like the distraction to lead you into the actual trap, right? Mm -hmm. Like one of those, like, look over here, and then the slap comes from the other hand. So I've got a trap that I absolutely love that's one of these distraction traps. Um, I have never used it in a campaign, and I don't think that I ever will, so I have no problem telling it's to Megan now. Um, But my favorite trap ever is uh, you walk into a room, the room is full of magical darkness, Uh, you go in and uh, when the last player goes in, um, when there's no one else left in the hallway outside, the door closes, it slams shut, and the lights come on. And the only thing in the room is a big red button. When oh, yeah. you press the button, a voice comes and it starts to count down from 30. If you press the button, it resets the clock. There's nothing else in this room and the door is unlocked. It is just a countdown timer. Yeah, that's pretty good. The resources actually... wastes is time for the patrol to come find you. Okay. Uh, I recently, well, I was playing Candlekeep, and um, one of the things that happens is that there there is a countdown timer um, for, I don't want to give away spoilers, but for like a monumentous event, right? So, but even if you disable the thing that's about to happen, the countdown timer keeps going, right? So, and then you only notice like the effect stops once the countdown timer hits zero. So I got to watch my party just like scramble and panic trying to, because there was a lever and the words on it didn't make sense for what the effect was. So they don't know what pulling the lever into one of these things does. So they like pulled the lever and I was like, 
you don't see anything happening. And then I watched them just scramble around the rest of the dungeon. Like, oh shit, we got to like decode what's going on with this stuff. Was... Um, that's something now that you've pointed that out, that's going to piss me off about every fucking movie moving forward. Is that how come whenever they disarm the bomb, it stops the clock? In theory, the electrical to the clock should have nothing to do with the arming mechanism. I never thought about that. Just a visual representation of it stopping. Come on. Oh, sure. The same way that every single computer (laughs) has a, like, hack successful pop-up that hits. 100%. Right? Like... Look, it it has been pointed out to me in the past that computers in computer software in movies do not exist the way it does in real life because it is always like it says in giant letters bomb countdown on your fucking laptop that you plugged into the bomb. Like, why? Why would it ever fucking say that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was watching a video the other day and it showed a character texting, but it was in an Excel spreadsheet. And I was like, really? You couldn't even open a text app. Love it. Uh, So let's get into some specific traps. Um, We're only going to be hitting the highlights today. Otherwise, this episode would be very long. Uh, But if you are looking for more examples of these, definitely check out the DMG, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, and Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Um, We are going to begin with mechanical traps. Uh, So let's roll initiative. Yeah. 15. 13. Four. So same order. Amazing. Um, the first one that I had for a mechanical trap was collapsing roof. Um, you said the thing about mechanical traps is that, um, they tend to just reset themselves. This one doesn't, um, it's pretty simple. The ceiling is in disrepair and it's being held up by columns that are wedged in place. And there's a hidden tripwire between the two columns. You know, if it falls, it deals 4d10 bludgeoning damage, which is like 22. So it's bad, but it's not the end of the world. Mm. Um, or half as much. So like 11. Um, if you can make the DC 15 deck save, 15 is relatively high. Some people take the 22 damage. Um, anyone can use an action to shift the columns and, and, uh, trigger the collapse. It takes a DC 10 perception check to see the tripwire, which is low. So they want you to see it. Um, and a DC 15, um, uh, sleight of hand with these tools to disarm the trap disadvantage if you if you just decide to use an edged weapon or tool instead of thieves tools once it falls it all becomes difficult terrain this is something that i think is a lot of fun to throw in when there's a ticking clock for some reason or there are enemies that are chasing you or in the middle of a combat right so every time that you have to cross from this side of the map to the other side of the map every creature has to roll a a dexterity check just to not hit the tripwire because in the middle of combat, the ceiling can cave in, right? Like uh, like how the floor caved in in the middle of the battle in the first Ninja Turtles movie from 1990. <laughs> um, Struggles, yeah. Yeah, so um, that was a bit of a deep cut. But the uh, the this is the most straightforward fucking trap that's out there. Um, and I don't think that this one was necessarily... This wasn't the original intent of the room. And it was probably, this is something kobolds could put together pretty intricately. Um, this is a, I don't think that goblins could raise up a ceiling and wedge in columns, right? You're going to need some sort of gnomes or someone with magic to be able to reverse gravity to get it up there to get the columns in or something. Like there yeah. has to be some level of mechanical genius behind this that your average goblins are not going to have, but your kobolds will. Yeah. A little so more yeah, ingenuity. I, yeah. Yeah. See, I don't see it as they built this collapsing roof it's more that they find the dungeon in a dilapidated building or you know somewhere that's structurally unsound 
So it's already like partially collapsed and they're just pulling out the column to get the last of it to do it. Yeah, it's the fact that there's a tripwire that's that's put into these wedged in columns. The the wording is pretty specific that the columns have been wedged in. They're not okay. just there to hold the roof up, which makes me think that this is a mechanical trap instead of a simple one. A simple one would just be if you bump the column, the roof comes down. Right? I think these actually got mislabeled and this is actually a simple trap. Uh, it actually is not. Oh, okay. Yep. Oh, yeah, so I guess it would make sense that it is built. Yeah, because the, the idea of the mechanical trap is that there's some kind of ingenuity behind setting it up, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so, that's why I say kobolds or gnomes or or magic involved, right? Yeah. To get it going. So, like, for instance, mine is, for, for mechanical traps to talk about, is poison darts, which seems like it would be a simple trap, but... It requires some kind of ingenuity and mechanical know-how to be able to set it up, right? So it is your classic pressure plate trigger. And of course, darts shoot out of walls, holes, whatever you want to say. And they're poisonous. Uh, It takes an intelligence or investigation DC of 15 to be able to spot the holes in the walls or wherever the darts are going to be coming from. Um, And it could be obscured by cobwebs or just general dustiness, depending on what kind of area you're wandering through. Uh, The plate activates when more than 20 pounds of pressure is put down on it. So that's a good thing to remember as a DM that small familiars or little little animals that are running around might not actually trigger the plate. It might actually take a little bit more than just what they've got going on. And then it releases four darts. It would be a ranged attack of a plus eight to hit um, against a random target within 10 feet. So not necessarily a utilized within a large room. This could be your, your scary hallway that, you know, that you're afraid of. <laughs> um, the damage is only 1d4, but it is a DC 15 con save or take an extra 2d10 poison damage. Um, and of course, impossible tricks to negate this trap would be to stabilize the pressure plate or even clogging up the holes if you you luckily enough see them ahead of time kind of thing. So again, it seems like a simple trap because it's the first trap you come across in any Indiana Jones movie. But at the end of the day, it takes a lot of prowess and know-how to be able to set something like this up in the middle of a cave, dungeon, hallway, what have you, right? Especially because of the weight limit on the pressure plate, right? Like that's engineered. Yeah. Yeah. So that the wind can't press it down, right? You know what I mean? Like it's not going to accidentally pop off. I love the idea too of, I mean, this is where you turn it into a more complicated um trap is depending on the weight of the creature for every 50 pounds the pressure plate drops a little bit more and shoots an extra dart so your halfling gets hit by one right but your loxodon gets hit by six (laughs) just all just like your your giant characters are your walls so they just all yeah Yeah. just trank darts yeah done the other cool thing about this and we covered all sorts of poisons a few well a couple of couple of dozen episodes ago, we went over a bunch of different kinds of poison. There could be different kinds of effects from getting hit by these darts too, which could just be you fall prone or it doesn't have to be damage, right? It could be uh, a level of exhaustion. It could be yeah. um, uh, the, there's some necrosis that uh, enters your veins. And for the next 2D 10 minutes, your movement is cut in half right? Like it could be any sort of thing that you want as a DM. I really like poison darts because poisons kind of open it up a little bit. Yeah. That's actually yeah. a good idea. Yeah. You could do it with all the different kinds of things. Yeah. Knocking somebody out or, you know, make them confused. So they start attacking their own party as well. The other thing too, is that if you use a hail of darts that are nigh um, unavoidable, like you would need evasion to get away from them. 
um, then you can turn this from a deck save into a con save. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It fills the hallway. Yeah. Right. And um, this is going to give, because a lot of traps are just deck save, deck save, deck save. Like I like it when you can mix it up so that people will get to use other parts of their character sheet. Yeah. And your rogue might get hit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So I've got pit traps. Uh, so pretty simple. There is a hole in the ground that's covered by a mechanism, like a swinging door that when you step on it, opens up, drops a person inside. Uh, you can jazz it up with a bunch of different things at the bottom, spike traps, uh, a locking pit so that it closes behind you, fill it full of lava, acid, you know, dealer's choice. Great. Um, get a, yeah, get excited. Hold on, I'm writing this down. Hold on. Yeah, I know. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> or a gelatinous cube. Yep. Uh, so pretty easy to spot with a DC of 10 as well. Um, uh, with a successful DC 15 wisdom check, uh, they can notice how it works. Uh, DC 15 intelligence investigation check uh, is necessary to confirm that the trap section of the floor actually covers a pit rather than something else. Um, usually it just drops down 10 feet, something like that. Uh, you can, uh, there's a bunch of different ways to disarm it. You know, you can uh, jam a knife into the mechanism, disable uh, with thieves tools, how it does open, leaving it constantly open, uh, stuff like that. One of my favorite pit traps that I ever saw was that the floor underneath was clear and it was only 10 feet down. So you'd take 1d6 damage, but there was jagged glass hanging out, like sticking out of all of the walls. So if you tried to grab the ledge or hold on or climb out, you would oh. get cut to shreds. Oh, so like it even did... if you pass a deck save, you lose in the end? Yeah, so like, you, so, and I would say, hey, there's, you see immediately that there's glass shards sticking out. I probably have these, these jagged glass all the way through the hallway or whatever to kind of telegraph that this is coming. But then the idea that, hey, uh, yeah, the pit trap opens up beneath you, you make a deck save, uh, and your passive perception can see there's jagged glass sticking out from the, from the walls. Um are you going to try to grab onto the ledge or are you going to just accept the fall? And if they just accept the fall and take the one D six, everyone else can figure out how to get them the fuck out of that pit afterwards. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's glass. You can just smash the glass if you want, but it's going to take time. It's going to make noise. All I can think of is the pitfall in saw where you, the, the pit full of needles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That still gives me nightmares. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. I was really um, disappointed that those needles didn't go in like, I'm tired of movies always attacking the same place on the shoulder or the same part of the abdomen. And like when you get stabbed in the face, it's always like in the cheek. It never glances off a cheekbone or like, I want, I want those syringes to like pierce right underneath the earlobe, like the really uncomfortable, gross places to actually get hurt. Gross, Adam. Thanks for that. <laughs> or right up the nostril. Ew, uh, stop it. Okay, we're done. <laughs> uh, okay. When I was prepping this, I actually prepped for the simple pit trap because I wasn't thinking that there's two different kinds of pit traps. Yeah, it's interesting because in the DMG, they uh, actually only have um, magical traps and mechanical traps. Yeah. Everything else that they list is a hazard of some sort, like a natural hazard. Um, it yeah. was Xanathar's Guide to Everything where they kind of reworked it to be either simple traps or complex traps. And because it's worked differently, some of the simple traps are magical. 
right? Um, and they doubled up a little bit on the idea of like poisonous traps, like poisonous darts in the DMG and then poison needle trap in Xanathar's, right? Like it's um, it's a little confusing and a little bit strange. I prefer the way that Xanathar's did it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because Xanathar's gives us um, like the level of difficulty of the trap as well where the DMG doesn't. Right, or you get an indication of what level you should throw this trap at a party. Yeah. Mm. Uh, uh, so you guys can find these and other mechanical traps, including falling nets, poison needles, and rolling spheres, all of which uh, can be found in the DMG. Uh, moving on to magical traps. Adam, take us away. Um. Okay, so this one is the Sphere of Annihilation, which, I mean, any seasoned D&D player knows this is the big Tomb of Horrors trap. Um, but let me go through it, and in order to go through it, I have to explain a couple of other things ahead of time. The first thing I want to point out um, that's a part of this, in according to the DMG, is the spell um, Antipathy slash Sympathy. So this is an 8th level enchantment, um, and what you do is you choose an object or a creature that is huge or smaller, or an area of up to 200 cubic feet to be the target of this spell. So you're imbuing something. Um, with it and we're going to look at the sympathy side of this um so you're going to imbue an area and this is essentially a um like a lure so you specify then a creature type as well like goblins or mimics or gnomes or manticores or whatever um and so this is the subject of the spell so subject of the spell will feel an intense urge to get within reach of the object or inside the area. If they're able to see it or are within 60 feet of it, they have to make a wisdom saving throw or use their movement on each turn to get inside the area or within reach of the object or creature. The subject can't willingly move away from the target of the spell. If you can end your turn out of the 60 feet or you can no longer see it, then you can make another wisdom save to realize that you've been enchanted and then you can try to move away. If you take damage from the target of the spell, um, then that can also force the subject of the spell to make another wisdom save. Once you make the save, you're immune, but only for a minute. The general idea here behind uh, sympathy is the fact that you are luring creatures of a certain type uh, towards something that is dangerous. Um, Yeah, so the thing that's so insidious about uh, sympathy or antipathy Sympathy, of course, lures people in. Antipathy, of course, pushes people away from whatever it is, right? Um, and whereas normally you can repeat this save, you don't actually get to repeat the save if you are within a certain radius until you take damage from this. So it can draw you right in and keep you there. Yeah, so the second thing to understand is uh, the Sphere of Annihilation, which is a wondrous item. It's a two-foot black sphere that is technically a hole in the multiverse. Uh, it hovers in space. It's unmoving unless someone uses an action to make a DC 25 arcana check to move it. DC 25. That's an intelligence check of DC 25. You would need a 20 intelligence. Your barbarian will never do this. Um, If you do make that check, uh, then the sphere can go up to five times your intelligence modifier in feet, Uh, but it has to move a minimum of five feet. If you fail the check, though, it moves 10 feet towards you. Uh, if it enters your space, it's a DC 13 dex check to get out of the way. And if you want to wrestle it out of someone else's control, it's an opposing arcana check. All that is pretty straightforward, but you don't want to get touched by this thing because it does 4d10 force damage to anyone or anything that touches it. And it obliterates them if they are reduced to zero hit points, um, or 
it's an object. It'll just get destroyed. Uh, the only exception is artifacts um, that are listed in the DMG. Uh, the, apparently, there are a couple of artifacts that specifically say that the Sphere of Annihilation will harm them. So um, it'll pretty much destroy fucking everything. If you send it uh, to a planar portal or an extra-dimensional space, there is a random table for this as well. You have a 50% chance of the sphere being destroyed, a 35% chance that it moves into that space um, or through the portal, and a 15% chance that every object and creature within 180 feet, including the sphere, get yeeted into a random plane. So now that we know what sympathy does and we know what the sphere of annihilation is, we combine them for the fucking trap. You put a sphere of annihilation inside the open mouth of a large statue. You make it so it uh, can't be moved or controlled, because that's part of how the trap works. And you put a permanent version of sympathy on it. So your players, when they get close enough to it, they will all get drawn towards this open mouth. Now, not every version of uh, the sphere of annihilation has sympathy cast on it, but some do. Um, you can cast a spell magic on it, uh, it's a DC 18, um, but that only lets you remove the sympathy spell, not to destroy the Sphere of Annihilation. Nothing can destroy the Sphere. So um, this is how you draw your Tier 3 party into possibly death. I wouldn't throw this at anything less than a Tier 3 party. It's your TPK. Yeah, this will straight up kill players, if, especially with the sympathy on top of it. I think the one in the 5th Ed Tomb of Horrors and Tomb of Annihilation has one of these as well, I think. I don't think either of them have the sympathy on top of it, but the yeah. DMG recommends it. Mm, that's For fair. when you really hate your party. <laughs> yep. Like, this is devious. Yeah. Also, that sphere of annihilation as an object, it, it makes me think of those like classic mage battles, you know, where they're like firing lightning at each other and you're watching it go back and forth. Yeah. Until one of them loses. Yeah. I love so, that. Cool. Yeah. So that's it. I think that's a particularly gnarly trap. I will never use that on my players, except oh. Dan. Except yeah. Dan. Yeah. Uh, mine's not as like particularly as interesting, so I feel like this is a, this is not as fun of a segue, but it's pretty cool. Uh, we're gonna talk about fire breathing statues for a hot sec. Um, so basically, these are activated once again by a pressure plate, which releases a flame from a nearby statue. So again, your party might fear statues for the rest of their life. The DC save is fifteen to spot the pressure plate, um, and some clues or or like um, sorry. And like some clues that you can kind of like lay out if you wanted to for one of these is like, of course, scorch marks on the ground or different colored tiles, like that kind of piece. So like it, it would be easy to discover that fire was present here, if that makes sense. Um, but absolutely detect magic would work because this is kind of like a, a magical spell um, and kind of reveal the magical aura around the said statue. Uh, the trap activates, of course, after 20 pounds of weight is on the pressure point and then releases a 30 foot cone of fire. Uh, players in its path make a DC 13 deck save and or take 4d10 damage halved on a save. Um, and of course, ways to negate this trap would be to deal with the pressure plate, as we've discussed before, or simply dispelling the fire spell on the statue. So again, Have you I guys noticed like... that all traps are d10s at this point. Yeah, pretty much for debt. You mean for damage, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's just yeah. weird. I feel like it's an easy way to scale trap damage without having to use improvised like 
Because it would be like, well, then again, the darts were a D4. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Right? So, but it's a very specific weapon. But to your point, like the spells so far have been D10s and so on and so forth. But I think that's a way to kind of like give yourself a good base of how much damage a trap should be doing. Right? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. Even these deadly ones are doing 4D10 when they hit, right? Yeah. So, but uh, no, again, I feel like statues are always in temples, tombs, dungeons. They're everywhere. So they could be unbeknownst. But again, as a DM, usually we always talk about the exploration piece. When you walk into a room, you mention the things that might be important. And then to give them some guidance on what to investigate and what direction to go. But uh, yeah, be afraid of statues. (laughs) You know, it might not be as deadly as the Sphere of Annihilation, but it would be a great way to jazz up your home. Jazz up your home. (laughs) I love a good fire-breathing statue. (laughs) It's a conversation starter is what it is, right? Yeah, 100%. (laughs) Uh, All right, uh, I've got falling portcullises. I mean, they're considered a moderate threat, but they're not going to be dealing any damage. Uh, The idea of these, if used effectively, though, they can be just as dangerous uh, to any level of player. Uh, Sorry, this isn't... Is this a magical trap? No, no, we're doing simple traps now. Okay, gotcha. Sorry, I was confused. Oh, yeah, sorry, we moved on to simple traps. I neglected to say that. Uh, You guys were just doing the magical ones. Yeah. No, there's only there's only two. There aren't any yeah. more than that listed anywhere as a magical trap. Kind of surprising, actually. Because the DMG had a few traps, but not a whole bunch. Um, Xanathar's Guide to Everything does have more stuff that is magical in nature that is more complicated. So also I feel like you could do any spell with a magical trap. Like I feel like yeah. that's just use the basic pressure plate, whatever system, but you could in my mind, you could put whatever spell you want in that. Pressure plate, yeah. cone of cold from yeah. the ground up. Right, yeah. like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, with a magical trap, it doesn't even need to be a pressure plate, right? Like, you could use a proximity thing that targets creature type, like a glyph of warding is basically a magic trap as well. You could, you could do a tripwire too, right? You, like, it's... you could just have a random rune to a specific god, and I'm gonna get into that actually in a second here. But like, you there doesn't have to be much of a rhyme or reason. Um, or or rather logic behind it. There does have to be reason, right? So mm-hmm. it has to be there for a reason for it to be a magical trap, but there doesn't have to be regular physical logic to it. Uh, Sorry. Anyways, yeah, that's okay. Um, getting back to the falling part, Quillis. Uh, yeah, so uh, normally it's a pressure plate that triggers it as well. Um, the Sandar's Guide to Everything recommends a DC 20 perception check uh, to actually reveal it. Um, and then a DC 20 dexterity check using thieves tools to disable it um, with a check of five or lower actually triggering the chat. Now, this is kind of a fun trap uh, because it doesn't kill. I mean, Adam, you mentioned that example earlier uh, of shutting off a room and shutting off an escape. It's also a great way to like separate a party too, right? Like if one drops between them and they have no way of opening it, you know? Yep, I I quite like doing this. This is something that I do all the time. Um, one of the things that I've not used, but I will in the future, so spoiler alert, Megan, is two falling portcullises, one on each side of the person in the middle of the marching order. Okay. Um, and then the passage opens up in the wall to their left. So only they can go in that direction um, and nobody else can go. If you raise the portcullis, if you disarm the trap if you get deeper in and pull the lever and undo it that door closes and magically seals so the only way to get into this area is to be alone 
so i love falling portcullises for splitting parties yeah i think this is also a good trap when you do have something like you mentioned earlier um you only have that one person hitting a trap every single time right this way when they trigger it it drops the portcullis and now this party has to fight something different now they're getting forced into all these traps right like let's say they have to run this gauntlet through a hallway to get back to your rogue that was scouting ahead yeah, this is also a good way to get your, hey, I want to throw zombies down this hallway at a bunch of people. The cleric has turn undead. Great. This is how I separate the cleric from the party. Yeah. And again, I mean, if it, if it's a magical trigger, all you need to be, if there's someone wearing a holy symbol other than this god of death, then that person gets isolated from the party. It And the portcullis drops. It's just that simple, right? Like, you don't have to bend over backwards for this. Just bullshit magic stuff right? It doesn't have to be the damage that's magical. It can be the trigger. Yeah, good point. Was there any more for the falling portcullis? I feel like it's really straightforward. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty straightforward. It's simple. Um, my next one is uh, magical, but it is considered a simple trap, and it's fiery blast trap. This one's meant for players that are levels 5 to 10, but I feel like I could adjust the damage on this and make it any level. Um, the premise here is that it's in the temple of a fire god, and creatures wearing the god symbols don't trigger the trap. Anybody else does. Uh, so there's a mosaic on the floor. So there's lots of different colored panels. When you cross it, it triggers the trap, but it is not pressure plates. Um, it's a fiery explosion. It's in the name of the trap. That is what happens. It's 7d6 on a failed save, half as much on a success. Um, and it's a DC 15 deck save to avoid the fiery explosion. So um, if you want to disarm it, it takes a successful DC 15 perception check to notice it and a successful DC 15 religion check to let you know that there's a nearby rune that is the source of the magic. And uh, defacing the rune will disarm the trap. Or you can cast Dispel Magic, DC 18, on the rune that will also destroy the trap. So it's essentially a glyph of warding that'll, yeah, yeah. that'll blow shit up, but it'll blow it up over there. Right. So this one was very, very specific about the God, the fire God that it was. And it's in a temple and there's a mosaic. But I feel like I could do this just about anywhere um, and theme the damage type differently to serve my purposes. Yeah. Which I feel like how most magical ish spells can go. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I think it could be a fun little puzzle too. Right. Is uh, there's a pattern to which mosaic you don't want to step on. And maybe if your players are reading and paying attention to whatever is going on, they can figure it out before they even get there. I agree. Yeah. Adam. All right. Well, I have another one that's kind of a considered a simple trap, but it is a spell trap in my mind. Um, it's called Sleep of the Ages. Uh, it is actually meant for levels 11 to 16 and is considered quite deadly. So let me describe this to you. Uh, it is a pressure plate release of a sleep spell. Uh, once it's basically triggered, it launches a ninth level sleep spell. Oof. Which, for those of you who don't know what a sleep spell is and how it works, it is the it is a number of rice dice rolled, and if it exceeds your HP, you fall asleep, and then you go in ascending order of everyone around within a twenty foot radius. Um, so the dice is five d eight, and then an added two dice per level. So basically for this ninth level sleep spell, it's 21 D8 total for this trap. Ugh. Casual. Yeah. So this counteract, so basically to counteract this, it would counteract this trap. It would be a DC 20 wisdom perception to reveal the plate. 
and a DC 20 arcana within a five within five feet of the plate to disable it. So this is kind of what we were talking about before, where this can, doesn't have to be a rogue that can disable a spell, like a, a trap. This is your arcana and your magical characters are going to tackle this one. Um, but because also a dispel magic, of course, with a DC 19 will also get rid of yeah. this spell. But it is it is dangerous. It is a 20 foot radius. So if you and like, I feel like someone who's putting this trap in is going to make sure the room is 20 feet by 20 feet. Like they're not going to put it in a room that's larger than that. So no, it's no, gonna be no, no, Megan, 20 foot radius, 40 yeah. feet by 40 feet. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. So like a large room, but yeah. like you're not going to put it in a room that's much larger than that. Cause you're going to want to, it's going to be a spell that you specifically put there. Cause you are taking the whole party down. Yeah. Right. So that's the what we were talking about earlier about how like whether it's single target or multi-target, this one is built for trapping at your your party and taking them down, but in a non-lethal way. The fun thing about this is that this is going to hit everybody except the elf because elves are immune to sleep. Yeah. Which means they're going to be the only ones standing around going, oh shit, I'm the only one left. And that's when I feel like this is part one of a trap. Part two is then the enemies flood into the room. So it's a one on six battle instead of it being even odds. Or the roof starts to slowly drop towards everybody who's asleep on the floor. Or poison glass, uh, poison gas starts to flood into the room. Or everybody falls asleep. And then all those tiny holes in the floor that you saw before are actually going to be spikes that jam up through all of the sleeping bodies, doing a shit ton of piercing damage, right? So you fall asleep, then wake up to this horrible stabbing pain, right? And then as you stand up, it triggers a spell and it knocks you out again. Yeah. I like how you went lethal I'm, and deadly and I'm just going like, this is a spell that's good for capturing people and keeping them alive. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but I mean, again, you absolutely could do it non-lethally. I I feel like all of this could be non-lethal, um, except maybe the fireball explosion and the sphere of annihilation. I think the one part about making this non-lethal is it only lasts a minute, right? So I imagine it being, yeah, part of another trap. Like I kind of think of side doors opening and a rank or sort of monster coming in to eat you. That's how you feed your larger monsters. Yeah. And then, yeah, the your elf can only wake up so many people by the time they reach your party. And then you're just fucked. Yeah. Yeah. The question for the elf can be, do I use my action to avoid taking damage myself? Or do I use my action to wake everybody else up? Run away very bravely. Yeah. Now's the time to run. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell the world of your bravery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you can find these and other simple traps like bear traps, crossbow traps, scything blade traps, as well as additional options for net traps, pit traps, and poison needle traps in Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Uh, next, we are going to be tackling complex traps. So Adam, why don't you take us away? So my first one, this might be my favorite thing that I've ever read um, as far as traps go. Uh I will be using this. This is called The Path of Blades. It says it's meant for level one to four, but it will just, that will murder a tier one party. Let me explain why. This is a hallway 160 feet long and 20 feet wide. At the 80 foot mark, it becomes difficult terrain until the 130 foot mark. So there's an 80 foot section of clear stone, then 50 feet of difficult terrain where the stone is all smashed up, then 30 feet. And at the end of this hallway, there is a rune. The trap is active as soon as any um, non-undead creature enters the hallway. It includes whirling blades for the first 80 feet. So think giant saw blades. 
columns that slam down from above for the next 50 feet, and then a rune of fear for the last 30 feet. The blades and the rune become increasingly dangerous the longer the trap is active. So here's what happens. The whirling blades for the first 80 feet. Keeping in mind, that's like two rounds for a lot of people. On initiative count 20, the blades attack each creature within the first 80 feet of the hallway. They have a plus five to hit and do 2d10 slashing damage. Also, if you end your turn within the area of the blades, you get attacked again. The blades move faster and faster, only slowing if they hit a target. They become more difficult to avoid as a result. What that means is that every time that they miss, their attack bonus goes up by two and their damage does an extra 1d6 slashing because they're building momentum and spinning faster. But once they hit a target, they slow to a regular speed. You can try a DC 15 investigation check as an action to try to time your movements. Um, if you are successful, then the blades have disadvantage to hit you. You can also try to attack the blades as they go past. But if you try, the blades have advantage on hitting you first. They have an AC of 15 and 15 hit points, and destroying um, the blades reduces uh, the attack bonus by two. So what you're doing is you're essentially dulling some of the blades. Um, if the attack bonus ever reaches negative eight, that actually destroys the blades completely. Of course, your players don't know that. If you're in the area of the blades, you can use your action to try and disrupt their mechanism with these tools and a DC 15 dex check as well. But you would have to have stopped at the end of your turn here as well. Um, and I feel like that's just asking for trouble. Beyond the blades, there's what's called the crushing pillars. On initiative account 10, creatures in the next 50 feet of the hallway have to make a DC 15 deck save or take 2d10 bludgeoning damage from pillars that slam down from above video game style. Also, if you Ridiculous. get hit, you get knocked prone. So that means you get knocked prone in this area of difficult terrain, which would take half your movement to stand up, and you can only move at half speed from there. Even on a success, you take half damage, but you get to stay up on your feet. There is no way listed to avoid or disarm this part of the trap. It's, I can't imagine this being for level one players. Right? right? No. Um, like, yeah. But for the last 30 feet, there's the Rune of Fear, and this is what makes it so much worse. This triggers on initiative count 10, and also if you end your turn within the last 30 feet of the corridor. In the last 30 feet, every creature in the area is uh, made to make a DC 15 wisdom saving throw against being frightened by the rune. If you fail, you use your reaction to, so not even on your fucking turn, um, to use your full movement to run back to the pillars. You can't move forward again until you pass the check on a future round. You can disarm the trap, but it takes three successful uh, DC 15 Arcana checks. Each one uses an action, so it takes three rounds to destroy the rune. In between rounds, you have to make this check. Also, you have to be right up on the rune at the end of the hallway to do it, and only one person can try this at a time. So if you succeed twice and then run away and someone else goes forward to do it, they're resetting that. Okay. You can cast Dispel Magic on the rune as well, but the DC is 13, and you have to do it uh, successfully three times as well. So that's, again, three turns. So this is consistently pushing people back into the columns. Now, here's the really Spell magic is also part. a third-level spell, though. Yep. But but here's, here's the extra shitty part. Each time that you succeed on a roll to disarm the trap, so whether it's Dispel Magic or Arcana Check, the other traps do an additional 1d10 damage 
because they start to gear up and the DC of the fear effect goes up by one. So this thing is meant to throw you through a meat grinder to get to the end to push you back into the meat grinder. Oh, fun. Yeah. This is a player killer. Yeah. Your NPCs, mounts, pets, and familiars will not live through this. Yeah. Can't wait for Adam to use this. Can't wait. Well, you're level five now. They said this was levels one to four. It's all right, Megan. We can do this. Uh, yeah, no, what, what the fuck? What's up with that levels one? To, yeah, well, levels one to four to kill you. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. 2d10, I'm pretty sure could kill a lot of fourth level players. You got to assume that there's a bunch of squished mages underneath those pillars. Yeah, yeah 100%. Anyway, yeah, that is the, uh, that's the path of blades. That's really cool. Good lord. Um, I have one that's almost as equally as interesting. It's called the Sphere of Crushing Doom. Uh, I love again, that name. yeah, I know, points right? for style and the name alone. <laughs> so this one came with a little bit of lore because it comes from the Zenith and that Zenithers Guide uh, to Everything. Uh, it's a trap set by a jester who doesn't want anyone to take his hat. <laughs> it is at the end of a 150 foot long hallway. So again, call your most feared thing that is only 10 feet wide. Uh, and it is on a steep slope heading downwards. The trigger is when you open the jester's coffin, which is at the other, which is at the end, at the bottom of the hill. Um, and a sphere, and a sphere is like a giant metal sphere is then released and starts rolling down this hill um, and acts on initiative ten. Anyone in its way must make a DC twenty save or take four D ten bludgeoning damage and be knocked prone. You take half on a save and you are not knocked prone. So. Congratulations to a few folks that can survive it the first time. Um, however, anything that blocks the sphere or gets hit by it directly or attempts to block it will take full damage. Uh, note, the longer it rolls, the more dangerous it becomes because there are two portals, one at the top of the hill and one at the bottom of the hill. So this thing just rolls portal style over and over and over again. So the longer it's rolling, the faster it's going to get, the more damage it is going to cause. Oh, uh, hold on. That's a DC 20 strength save. Yes. That's not even dex. Uh, all right. Yeah. Goodbye, rogues. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, you, yeah, you're, you're basically getting hit by a rolling wall. So, um, yeah. Uh, so each round, again, the, the, the damage and the speed increases. Uh, and it can only, the only way to stop it is by using something like a wall of force or something that can absorb all of the damage um, or disrupt the portals. Uh, so to be able to disrupt the portals, you must be successful on a DC 20 arcana check, uh, to analyze the runic nature, uh, and then make subsequent checks, uh, to, to damage or destroy the runes, which reduces the sphere's damage over time. So you could just whittle it down, um, or you can also use a dispel magic spell, but it has to be successful three times with a DC of 19. So similar to, like, the Path of Blades, if you're just going to magically dispel this, it's going to take a few rounds to do it. So you're obviously going to be dealing with something that is going to be rolling faster, hitting harder while your team is trying to stop this thing and your your wizard or whatever is trying to like dispel this thing, but it's going to take three rounds. So someone's getting smushed. Someone's getting, you know, barrel rolled down a hill. It's just... Did you, <laughs> did, did you see the speed kills part of that one? What do you mean by speed? What do you mean speed uh, there's a there's a little section in it called speed kills it says after it's turned the sphere gains speed yeah did you cover that yeah i said uh, like as uh, the, the the more turns it has the faster it rolls and the more damage it does yeah it, but yeah. it also goes on initiative count 20 and 10 at a certain point so yes. it goes twice in a round fuck yeah that's that's uh, how fast it can go yeah <laughs> i love it i love it 
And like the hallway, like the other thing you have to remember is this hallway is like 150 feet long. So <laughs> this thing is whipping down the hallway. Yeah. yeah. At an intense amount of speed. So it's going to be a hoot and a holler for your group. And like your group can't outrun it at one point. Like people are going to have to start absorbing damage from it while someone is trying to disable this trap. That means it's going 150 feet in three seconds. Yeah, that's firing down the fucking hallway. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a cannonball. <laughs> it is It is a metal ball. It's not like it's like the Indiana Jones rock ball. It's a, it's a metal sphere. It's a, it's a massive ball bearing. You think however fast you can run as an average human, this thing is going five times that speed. Yeah. This is like getting hit by a fucking car over and over and over. This is some Looney Tunes shit you brought to the table, Megan. Thank I you. know. Yeah. But like at the end of the day, like you're going to think because the least amount of damage you can take from it in an attempt to stop this ball is the first time it rolls. Yeah. But everyone is going to try and jump out of the way. Everyone. Jesus. Which means you're going to get at least two rounds before someone realizes that maybe we should try and stop this thing from rolling. But at that point, the damage and speed has already increased. So I love it. Yeah. And I thought it was cool. I was like, it's like the Indiana Jones ball, but like on crack. On crack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm kind of curious. What would happen if you went through the portal? You would end up at the top of the hill. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. That's how I would do it as a DM. If you wanted to walk through the portal. Yeah. But I mean, then you can't like, yeah, you can get down to the bottom and then you walk through the portal and you get back up to the top, but you'd have to step like you're then in front of the portal again. Right, yeah. you can't get back behind the portal until you disarm this trap. Right. Okay, oh, yeah, that makes more sense. I I don't know why, but I was thinking of like the portal as being like circular, but it would make sense that it would take up the whole hallway. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, you yeah. can't get behind the portal. Yeah. Brain fart there for a second. It's all good. You were trying to figure out a way to disarm my trap, and you can't. Bah-ha. <laughs> no, I guess. <laughs> I would panic for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so for the last one, I've got uh, the Poison Tempest. Uh, so these are designed for the defilers of Wanti temples. Uh, the idea of this trap is that it stands in a large room uh, with doors in the middle of each wall and a 10-foot-tall ruby-eyed snake statue in each of the four corners. Uh, the trap is activated by greed uh, when a player tries to pry one of the ruby eyes loose. Uh, this trap goes on initiative count 20, and again at 10, like the rolling sphere. Uh, on the first turn, uh, when the eye is pried loose, the doors lock and seal. Uh, the statue mouse open and begin filling the room with poisonous gas. Uh, it originally deals 60 10 poison damage on a failed DC 20 con save, or half as much on a success. Um, on initiative count 10, Oh, and uh, with each initiative count 20 after that, it goes up 2d10 poison damage to a maximum of 10d10 poison damage. Uh, Holy shit. So it does, I'm sorry, it does 6d10, then 8d10, then 10d10? Yeah. That's a lot. And it can happen even faster if your players are tough. Uh, on initiative count 10, uh, the gas creates a secondary effect, uh, chosen at random by rolling on a D6 table. Uh, these effects can range from knocking someone prone, uh, debuffing stat rolls, uh, to explosive gas if there is an open flame. Uh, they do give you a couple options on how to disable this trap, uh, one being to disable the statues either by a DC 20 dex check using these tools, or you can also clog up the pipe. Uh, using like a cloak or something similar uh, with a DC 
15 strength check. Uh, however, disabling uh, that the pipe in that way causes the poison damage to drop by 1d10. Um, at the same time, a player will have to stay by the statue to hold the obstruction in place. Otherwise, it'll just pop out again. So, uh, so hold on. So, have... Hold on. So there are four statues. It does 6d10. And you have to have four players committed to reducing it by 1d10. So everyone is still suffering 2d10 damage every round. Yeah, that's if you obstruct it, right? Uh, you can also disable it with thieves tools, but like that's, yeah. So yeah, the, the, the gameplay is everyone's going to clog what they can while someone runs around trying to disable it. Yeah, exactly. My God. Uh, the, the only problem is if your party decides to destroy the statues instead, uh, either through a DC 20 strength check or um, knocking it down its 20 HP, it will instead release an unrestricted stream of gas into the room and increase the damage by 1d10. Uh, it also offers you the option to unlock the doors, uh, but to do so, uh, you'll first have to pass a DC 20 perception check just to spot the lock, then a DC 20 arcana check to disable the sphere of force around said lock, then a DC 20 dexterity check with these tools to unlock the door, and then finally a DC 20 strength check to open it. It um, even says in brackets, dispel magic is ineffective. Fuck. Yeah, right? I was going to bring that up because I find it very weird that dispel magic doesn't work, but an arcana check does disable it. Uh, it that seems kind of like a, one of those bullshit DM things to artificially make something harder. Um, I th I think about it like this: the magic is beyond the capability of dispel magic, which is a low level spell, and it's a high enough arcana check that's required that it requires a mastery of magic to understand the runes to be able to fuck them up appropriately. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a, yeah. It's similar to like the 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 rolling crushing ball one. It's an arcana check because like you're understanding the runes and the magic behind how it operates, not necessarily dispelling the spell itself. Yeah. The dispel yeah. magic itself, I would just, it takes nothing to have a, a little factor there that it casts counter spell anytime dispel magic is cast. Okay. Or it hears the verbal component and uh, for the first half of dispel magic, verbal component, and casts silence for six seconds um, on the area so that you cannot get the rest of it out, right? Like, I can come up with a mechanic for this if I wanted, but um, I, I don't feel the need to. I just like... <laughs> this is this is fucking insidious. You will kill a fucking group with this. And it's not targeting oh, yeah. one person, it's targeting everyone again. Yeah. Right. And 6010 right off the bat is insane. And then with the uh initiative 10, so you'll the other options are uh it'll drop your strength and dexterity by two, I think. Da -da -da. Poison either floods the room again, making you do more dexterity saves. There are more con saves. Uh, you can't see more than a foot sometimes. All dexterity and or all dexterity and strength checks uh, made in the room have disadvantage. So if you're trying to disable the thing or just trying to keep uh, the obstruction in the the mouth of the snakes, I don't know. It, yeah, it's insane. Yeah, there's there's a lot of additional bullshit with this D6 table, and by bullshit I mean hilarious and wonderful detail. Yeah, keep them guessing every round. Okay, uh, so before we wrap up this episode, we're just going to cut to a last ad break. 
If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit r slash it's a mimic. Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes and comments. Engagement like that help us pop up on search engines and keep the show running. All right, guys. So uh, what trap or hazard in this episode inspired you the most? Uh, let's roll initiative. And now I got a one. 19. Oh, I also got a 19. <gasps> roll off. Oh. Two. It's it DM three <laughs> or it's the person asking the question. Yeah. 13. Uh, All right. uh, you know what? It might be pretty simple, but I love the following portcullis. It just has a nice flavor and adds that little extra sense of dread. And it's just so simple, but it can do so much. Yeah, there's there's a lot to be said for splitting the party. Yeah. Look, the, the common mentality, the warning that you have for new players is don't split the party. It doesn't say anything about don't fall in a pit trap, right? Like, don't split the party. And the, the falling portcullis does exactly that. Yeah. Yeah, and it helps just like earlier in the conversation, it helps the general pacing of the game. Right. Um, I like the flame statues. I think that's fun. I like giving players trauma for things. It's like everyone's afraid of a door at this point when you play D&D. Let's make everyone afraid of statues. But again, to our, I would kind of flavor it depending on who's setting the trap. Not everyone's going to be attuned to fire, right? Make it a cone of cold. Make it like freeze damage. Make it poison. Don't go as like far as these fucking snake bullshit thing that you just talked about. But it could just be a little simple like poison spell or even a sleep spell like a little one you know what i mean but i I like statues being bitches yeah if i can be honest all of these complex traps are really cool and really fun and i'd love to use them once as written and then i'm done with it i also find them incredibly deadly and you will end up with a tpk by accident on any one of the three of them yeah even potentially at high levels if your guys cannot roll well that day right so yeah um, you could you could end up in some trouble, which is why my my answer for my favorite one, the one that inspires me the most, is absolutely the pit trap. I it is just so fucking versatile. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. My favorite thing about the pit trap is I'll throw a pit trap on the fourteenth level of the wizard's tower, and that is not a pit; it's a slide. And now you're in the basement. Fourteen d six damage all the way down, and you are separated from the party. Like I can do so much with a pit trap. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. More so than poison darts, although again, super versatile. That's why a lot of the ones that I think we covered today were the ones that were either versatile or absolutely batshit insane. Like mm-hmm. the sphere of annihilation is just yeah, wildly stupidly overpowered. Yeah. Good combo. All right. Uh Kyle, which trap would trap or has oh wait, no, that's not how words work. Uh Kyle, which trap or hazard would fuck up the last character you played uh my answer is sphere of annihilation uh my last character had what you might call a terminal case of curiosity Mm. right like i my character jumped down a well without actually looking at what the bottom was first i just assumed it was going to be water and it was not it was a hundred feet to rocks amazing megan uh mine would be your tempest one because my character would have smashed the statue (laughs) yeah Yes, 100%. 100% would have smashed the statue, killed everyone in the room. <laughs> I, have, I have been talking now for, for three months on the Patreon about the false Hydra that you guys fought yeah. and how the, the first fucking thing that you did was destroy that bell tower. Yep. That was the thing that was going to save you. 
but you decided to just destroy your get out of jail free card mm-hmm. the moment you walked into the fucking town. Yeah. Fuck. That is on brand for not just you, but your whole damn party to break the shit and die. We break things. <laughs> that, was, that was Dave's first thing. Do you remember he accidentally smashed all of the um uh all of the potions of healing that were in the very first dungeon that I gave you at the very beginning? Yeah. Just like I think it was like what 40 potions of healing just shattered on the ground. <laughs> yeah, I, I gave you guys like a wall of potions of healing because I knew this shit was gonna get deadly. You're level one, and I'm putting you against gelatinous cubes and gorgons and all sorts of shit. And Dave's like, nope, fuck it, smash, smash, smash. Shouldn't have been on an altar of Tiamat. Fuck. The the best part was that he was in a room by himself when he did that. Yeah, nobody else so knew. No one, none of us knew that he had done that. He like as as players we did, but as like characters we did not know that this had occurred. So he just yeah. comes back. He's like, yeah, there's nothing in there. Like, <laughs> um. I don't know. The the last character that I played was an L5R, so I was a squishy, mundane human, um, which means every one of these would have killed me. Life would have killed you. (laughs) Yeah. A pit (laughs) trap would have snapped my ankle and it would have died alone. It also probably would have started raining on me. Yeah. Starved to death, got a cold and died. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to L5R, where nothing is forgiving. Nope. (laughs) And then my bitch of a wife would outlive me. Oh, she's going to. (laughs) God damn it. Just out of fear spite. Revenge. <laughs> For all that times you tortured Megan. It's true. I have never once I've never once tortured Megan. What? Literally, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, not once. Many, many times I have tortured Megan. Yeah. You're the worst. All right. Well, that's all for our discussion on traps in fifth edition. Make sure that you subscribe and follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week we'll be returning to the kind of gem dragon that likes to mingle among the humanoids and learn all our secrets. Uh, thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website at itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch, and a Patreon. This episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits, and don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. Have I tortured you, Megan, more than any other player? I mean, I've gone after Dan with the the daughter thing, but that was like a one-off. But you, like, your last character was literally, literally tortured at almost every fucking turn. Yeah, like 100%. You were the only one that lost a limb. Oh, that's not true. Casey's character had her wings ripped off. That was my fault, too, which was... That was your fault. Yeah, you had to (laughs) watch that. I feel like that was torture for me. (laughs) We We took your ancestral sword that had your father's voice in it and smashed it. And so you lost a connection. Your god was murdered in front of you. You, yeah, you had a bad day. Yeah, your god. Yeah, she did, uh, did, not a good time. Had She's, it coming? She, I would say that she did. Like she was, she was, a, she was a good person. She just decided that you know the world was out to get her, and then she became mad and angry about it. <laughs> I have not seen a fall from grace. Your character fell from grace. 
The other two were already morally ambiguous in the first place. Yeah. Um, but you you were the bright shining beacon at the beginning. And and yeah, you my my soul was slowly ripped away from it. My favorite episode was when Terry had to re-roll his character and came in as like the the goody two shoes ASMR now like cleric like shine new shiny beacon. And we were about halfway through this campaign where my character is in the darkness. Yeah. And he thought that our characters would get along and be like the beaming lights of like like and I'm t- I'm telling him to fuck off because I'm like <laughs> we got shit to do and people are going to get murdered so sit the fuck down and buckle up. <laughs> you guys spent a solid half an hour one day standing on top of a pirate ship screaming at each other about whether or not murder is justified. Yeah. And your character, who was the lawful good character at the beginning, was screaming, murder is acceptable under these circumstances. Yep. And he was like, no, it isn't. I'm a cleric. It was great. That's, that's so funny because he is playing a mix of those two characters in Call of Cthulhu right now. <laughs> yeah. That bitch. Yeah. He is playing a gun-toting priest. Who has no problem taking a cop hostage. (laughs) Delightful. Also, I did Google uh, cobalt thirst traps. I've learned some shit, and I don't think anyone else should fucking Google it. God damn. Rule 34. If it exists, (laughs) there's porn of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's also what safe search is for, right? You get keep it PG. I can see <laughs> the thousand yard stare in your eyes right now. Man, I have not thought about safe search since I was in high school. Crazy. Like I've ever I only safe search. <laughs> Never in my life. <laughs> I was gonna say something, but I think it's best I don't. <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Kyle. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, <laughs> The thing that's so shitty about this, hold on one sec, I got a blender going. I'm gonna, I'm just going to take a quick opportunity to go to the walk. Do, 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 do. Curse you, Kyle, and your small bladder. <laughs> I also have a small bladder, so I can't judge him, but. Oh, you can try. <laughs> that's fair. Oh, so you heard a blender, huh? Doesn't that mean your uh, landlord upstairs had a, a gentleman caller last night? That's when the blender goes the second time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, okay. it, only, it only went once. So, <laughs> oh, poor lady. Um, anyway, okay. So, the uh, uh, most of the time, whenever there's something like this where you fail a wisdom save, you get to try again at the beginning or the end of your next turn or second blender. <gasps> oh, that's good for mix. her. <laughs> We're happy um, for her. Yeah, that's a thing I know. Yeah, I was really looking forward to saying the words saucy minx. <laughs> so I'm glad that it went a second time. There you go. The other thing that you need to know is what a sphere of annihilation is. And I don't mean the trap, I mean the wondrous item. It's a two-foot black sphere that is technically a hole in the multiverse. <coughs> oh, I thought there was gonna be a third blender. There is. Yeah, me like- too. There is. <laughs> okay. Oh. Okay. We like that. Get it. <laughs> That is pleasant. Adam, put your dinosaur down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is that a euphemism? 
<laughs> it kind of looks like it. you were giving it a blowy earlier. So, I mean, maybe. Amazing. We love that. Good for the uh, dinosaur. <laughs> I'm <laughs> Not I, just I, the landlady who's getting action. All right. Okay. See you next time.